Good morning. Bill is correct. I have had a haircut, which will mean nothing to many of you. But anyway, well done. Good, op- good powers of observation. Um, my name's Johnny. I'm one of the leaders of the church here, and I've had a haircut. Dun, dun, dun. That's what God wants you to hear today. Right, let's move on. Um, each week at Church Central, we'll uh, look at a passage of the Bible, uh, look, at, uh, look at what it means, how to apply it to our lives. And for the last uh, kind of nine months or so, I've been going through Luke's Gospel, and we've got to Luke chapter 9. So uh, today, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 10 to verse 17, is where we're going to be. As you'll see, a very, very famous passage today, and I, I say that to you if you've been coming to church for a long time, or if you've never been to church, I would imagine you've probably come across this one before. So let's get going. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Luke 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So here we have it, the feeding of the 5,000. The only miracle uh, that Jesus did that is recorded in all four of the biographies of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a big one. This is a good one. This is going to be familiar to many of you, okay? Before we get into it, I'd like you to spare uh, a thought of sympathy towards me, the poor preacher man on this occasion, because this is a, t- this is a, yeah, thank you, this is a tough one. So have you ever been in that situation where you're like, uh, you're going to choose a, it's often for me when you're choosing a sandwich for lunch and you're going to Tesco, and there are so many sandwiches, you're just there paralyzed. Have you ever had this? Like, do I go for the BLT? Do I go for the garlic chicken? Well, I don't know they do a sandwich like that, but whatever the other one is, it won't have egg in it, I know that anyway. Uh, but it's like this here, because in this passage, you could preach on pretty much anything, I mean, everything's here. I mean, and I'm sure that many of you would have heard many talks uh, on lots of different elements. So let's just n- knock off a few to start with. What's this, what could you talk about from this passage? I sit and prepare. What could I prepare my sermon on? I could do a whole sermon on Jesus' power. I mean, multiplying food's reasonably powerful. It's a power that, if a superhero, it could be one of the ones I would quite like. You know, I could talk about Jesus' power. Could talk about the way that Jesus uses his disciples in his miracles. How he doesn't do it himself, he delegates to people. That's really important. That's right in the middle of this passage. Could talk about the abundant provision of God. He doesn't just give us enough. There's baskets left over at the end. The lavish grace of God. That's in here. The importance of obedience. The disciples obey as Jesus tells them. To do things, the importance of prayer. Jesus gets the bread and he gets the fish and he looks up to heaven. He seems to pray and everything's multiplied. We could go a slightly different road. We could talk about the need for us to meet people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. That's in the passage. Jesus doesn't just deliver a cracking sermon. He gives them food. I remember a school assembly I heard once that told me this story was all about the importance of sharing. 
Anyone heard that one? It's a good, it's, yeah, Dave, yeah, it's a good one. Right, apart from the last one of those, those are all reasonably valid points on this passage, and, uh, and we, we could go down any of those avenues. But you see my dilemma, what to preach upon in those balmy summer ni- nights, not nights, days, nights, whenever I'm preparing, what do I do? Well, here's my approach to the passage. I wanted to ask one question of this passage as I prepared, and the question was this. In this passage, what is the crucial thing that made this miracle happen? If we could pick one thing in this passage, or to put it a slightly different way, if we could remove just one thing from the passage and stop the miracle happening, what would it be? I think the answer is found actually in verse 11. And it's not kind of the rock and roll razzmatazz of multiplying food and all the things this story is known for. It's a much simpler thing. And it says this, when the crowds first appear, what did Jesus do? Jesus welcomed them. That's what it says. Let's face it. If that verse had said, the crowds came and Jesus and his disciples hid behind a bush while they passed by, there would be no feeding of the 5,000. Each of the four Gospels would have been that little bit lighter in that, in that respect. And actually, the importance of this action is highlighted when we see the opposite reaction that's given us a verse later. Jesus welcomes the crowds. Well, what's the disciples' approach? They have the opposite approach. Their first comment on the crowds is, send them away. Welcome or send away. And in these two short phrases, we see two different attitudes that would either release the blessing of God to people or would withhold it. And my challenge, I want to lay out right at the start for us today, is which of those approaches will we take towards the crowds of people around us who come into our lives or have potential to come into our lives who don't know Jesus? I know it might not sound as exciting as maybe a sermon on how to multiply food, how to move more powerfully in the supernatural, maybe how to organize a ministry to feed the hungry. Those things are very important. But you know what? If we want to see miracles happen, and if we want to see people's physical needs met in powerful ways, actually one of the crucial questions, if not the most crucial question, is going to be, will we welcome people or will we send them away? So let's look at this passage then and see where, how that fits in with, with what's going on here, how I get that from the passage. And secondly, I think what's really helpful is here, here is we also see how and why Jesus can have this attitude as well, why Jesus can welcome people. So let's look at the context. What's been going on here? Now, if you were around last week, uh, you'd have heard Owen preach on this and you'd know all about what was happening. But the disciples have just got back from their first, what we could call, evangelistic mi- mission. Okay, these 12 guys are called the apostles set apart and they've been with Jesus for ages. They've been seeing him doing all sorts of amazing, miraculous stuff. And it's as if at the beginning of chapter nine, Jesus says, "Okay, boys, you see me do it. Now it's your turn. Go and do it yourself. And he sends them out and he sends them out to preach the gospel to heal the sick. And it says in verse six that they took the opportunity with both hands in verse six of chapter nine. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. So basically, they've been out on a, you'd imagine, a pretty grueling ministry trip. And so when you get back to verse 10, where we started, these guys have a lot to talk to Jesus about. On the back of their trip, it says in verse 10, as we've seen, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. So what's Jesus' response to them? Moving on in verse 10. Then Jesus slipped quietly away with them and toward the town of Bethsaida. He slipped quietly away and... Why? Why does Jesus at this point use the opportunity? They all come to him, Jesus, Jesus, you should have seen what happened, you should have seen what happened. Well, let's go, let's go, let's slip quietly away. 
Well, it's probably no uh, revelation to hear why. It's quite simple, the reason why they slipped away at this point, I think. I think there are two reasons. I mean, the disciples and Jesus, you look in, in the Gospels, these guys are always together. They're doing things together. The disciples are right there waiting on Jesus' every word. Uh, Jesus likes being around his disciples. And they've been away from each other, it would seem, for some period of time as the disciples have gone off. And they need some time to catch up. You know, maybe this summer you've had some time like this. You've kind of been running around doing all sorts of things this summer. Right, I'm going to have some time to catch up with the people close to me. I'm sure that's in there slightly here. And I think maybe more fundamentally and similar idea really is also these guys would have been tired. Jesus would at points have got peopled out, I would imagine. The disciples similarly. And they wanted to go off and quietly withdraw to recharge their batteries to have a rest. Actually, Mark, in Mark's gospel, Mark makes this absolutely explicit of what's happening here. Mark 6, 30, 31 is the same story. He says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. They needed some time to rest. Now, before we go any further... I just want to pause at this point and just take this in. And this is going to be particularly important in the light of what I'm going to go on to say in a few minutes because there'll be a balance that needs to always be applied by remembering this verse here. Jesus took them quietly away. Rest is a good thing. Yes, it really is. At the end of the summer, people are saying, yes, been away to France, been away here. Rest is good. Withdrawing from everyone is not just the sign of a, a loner or a hermit. Now, that's important for all of us at times. It's important to get time together just with those who are close to you, with your friends, with your partner, with your family, with your church. That's important things to do. And Jesus understood this, and he did it. If you look through, there are a number of times where he withdraws on his own sometimes, sometimes with those who are very close to him. And particularly in the context, as we're going to talk about, as this talk goes on, of mission-focused lives, Going out where you, you welcome people, you spend your life with people, even people sometimes who are an interruption to you. It's important at the, the start we recognize that Jesus understood there was a balance that must be a, applied to that, and rest is important. And I want you to hold that in your head as we go on. However, we need to hold it in our head with also the recognition that their rest on this occasion was pretty short-lived. If we move on to verse 11, you'll see where this goes. Verse 11, but the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. It's a bit like the paparazzi after a celebrity here. They kind of, yeah, we've got him. We have found out where he is. Let's go. And the crowds followed where they were going. Now, I'd imagine, I'm just speculation, I it, wonder how much space there is between verse 10 and 11. Did they get a break at all? Did they get any time together? I'm sure they probably got some degree of a catch-up. But actually, their family time was interrupted. It was cut short by this annoying group called the crowd. So let's, now let's do a little biography. Who are the crowds? What is this annoying group pestering Jesus and his disciples? Now, the crowds were a group who had no special allegiance to Jesus. They had no commitment to Jesus in that sense. These are not disciples. But they are people who would have come with an interest in Jesus, and they're coming to him for a whole variety of reasons. There would be the spiritual members of the crowd who are coming because they're looking for the Messiah and they're right there thinking Jesus could be the one to save us. There was those who wanted forgiveness for their sins, and there would be a measure of those people in the crowd. There'd be others, though, 
who'd be there for much more practical, mundane reasons. I'm very sick. I need healing. This guy can do it. I'm here. So I'm politically motivated. I hate the Romans. I've heard this guy might be able to sort us out. Let's go onto this hill and hear him. I would have thought probably there would be people in those days who would just have gone for some entertainment. Jesus is a very interesting communicator. He's the local celebrity. Well, let's go and see Jesus today. There would have been all sorts of people in the crowd for all sorts of different reasons. But the thing that linked them together was they were people who were coming to Jesus open to the possibility of him inputting somehow into their lives. People who were coming to Jesus open to the possibility of him somehow inputting into their lives. Let let me ask you, who are the crowds in your life today? Who are the people who are coming to you, or maybe not coming to you, but brushing past you in your daily life, who are open to you inputting somehow into their life? It's unlikely that people are coming for exactly the same reasons. Unless you maybe feel people aren't likely to come for your kind of supernatural power and kind of if I just touch him, maybe I'll be healed of everything, you know. Unlikely they're coming because they think you're the Messiah. Unlikely, you never know. Some of you, please talk to me later if that's the case. Sort that out. Um, But people are coming to you. I don't mean people who are coming open to the gospel or who are coming on their knees calling out for repentance. I really mean, and this sounds a bit twee, people who just wouldn't mind being your friend. Oh, isn't that nice? Let's break this down. Let's make this very specific to you. Maybe you're a, a, a child or a teenager or a, or a student. I'm sorry to lump you all together, but similar kind of educational bracket, I suppose. Um, maybe you don't feel like you're the most popular person in the whole of your school or college. Maybe you are. Who knows? However, I would bet you that there will be loads of people in your school or university who would, wouldn't mind being mates with you. I'm not talking about BFF mates here. I'm talking about people who just wouldn't mind kind of sitting next to you on the bus or wouldn't mind going out with you to, uh, to hang out or something like that. For others of you, there'll be people on your street or in your block of flats who wouldn't mind hanging out with you, who wouldn't mind having a barbecue at your house. Probably That bird has probably flown this year, but you know, next year or next five years you might get sun again, who knows. They wouldn't mind having their kids come around your house to play in your paddling pool. Those at work here, there are bound to be people you interact with professionally who would love to have a drink with you, catch a film with you, or even come over to your house. That will be the case. For mums here, there will be other mums who you, maybe you've never met them, but you see them every now and again, who your kids know and things like that, who you could say, yeah, actually, that person in the time of their life, life they're in at the moment, they'd welcome that. I I just want to make a point here actually I say this as a, as a point I want to commend the mums here because I, I think you guys are as regards this message welcoming people I don't know anyone who's like the mums here the mums I know anyway the way you welcome people into your lives please feel kind of like yeah good good work keep on doing it but um, you know that's a that's a, a area where crowds come as well there'll be other less obvious people too our city is full of people from other countries here for all sorts of different reasons who would absolutely love to spend time with you. I'm amazed, and I'm not a model for this at all, but when I spend time with anyone from another culture, maybe an international student or someone who's come for a different reason, and they say, you are the person who's been kindest to me since I came to England. How long have you been in England? About five years. It's like, what? I I had a conversation with you. I didn't spit at you in the street. And it's like, like, wow, that's amazing. That's an incredible thing. 
The city's full of lonely people or people with other needs, actually for whom an hour with you would be the highlight of their entire week. don't know if you realize that, but that's the case. Now the problem actually is, I think this, is not that these people aren't there, but these people, the crowds, are not necessarily the people who you would naturally want to spend time with. I think that's the problem. Actually, maybe it's clicking into place now. You're thinking, no, there's no one at my work like that. Oh, you mean that person? Okay, I've got it. I've got the crowds. Now, they're not necessarily those we'd naturally want to hang out with. It's the dinner invite you keep avoiding. It's that kid in the playground who is not very popular. It's that person down your road who's always calling out to you over the fence when you are trying to chill out in your garden. Not speaking from personal experience. (laughs) Now, often... These guys are an interruption to us. Let's face it, not always, but often they are. And that is the case in this story. And I hope now I've, I've zoomed you from 21st century Birmingham into this story because this is exactly what happens to Jesus. They're here to relax. They're, they're here to get together. And suddenly the crowds are on their doorstep. And the question for us, as it must have been in this passage, was well, how then do we respond to them? Well, maybe to ask you, what is your normal response to people like that? Because usually we're setting our ways a little bit on these things. Well, in this passage, we see two, as I've said. Jesus welcomes them. The disciples send them away. Let's start with the send them away approach to the crowds. Uh, the disciples approach. And it's in verse 12. We see it. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms. So they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. So, why do they want to send the crowds away? I think, again, we can see three reasons in the passage why they do it. And let's be clear here. It's easy to do some disciple bashing when you go through the Gospels. They do come across a little slow at points and worse at other points. But let's go with this because I think their response is, is, if I'm being honest, approaching this passage is the one that I think I take most. Okay, so I'll be a bit vulnerable with you there, but that is it's reasonable. There's a reason for their approach. Okay? Why do they send the crowds away? First thing, they see the crowd situation. That's the first thing, and they know it's difficult. You cannot fault their powers of observation. They are in the middle of nowhere. There is no McDonald's near. There is no Tesco's near. There's not even a greasy burger van around the corner. If they don't do something, this crowd is going to be spending a night on the hills and getting very hungry. That is what's going to happen. And so the first reason is they see the crowd situation. Secondly, they look from the crowd to themselves and they see their resources. And they see their resources are not sufficient to help anyone here. Again, back to the passage, verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men there. They look at the crowd, difficult situation. They look at themselves. They actually say they've got nothing, so they nick a picnic off a, a boy, it says in, in uh, John's Gospel, but they've not got enough, and they've got not, not got enough money to buy food, even if they could get the number for the local takeaway. They, they, they've not got enough to do that. Their resources are poor. So actually, their claim that they send the crowds away because of concern for the crowds, because that is how the disciples present this to Jesus, it is to a degree justified. However, surely behind this, there is another reason for them sending the crowds away. And we've approached it already. Third thing, I think, is they needed a rest. They needed a rest. 
We've seen it already. They've been off on this grueling and successful ministry trip. They come back, great, now at last we can spend some time with Jesus. We can sit around, we can listen to what he says, we can feed back, we can do all of that sort of stuff. We can have a bit of time to chill. And then this crowd appear. And Jesus welcomed them in. It's the end of the day. There are other reasons. Jesus, come on now, surely can we have our rest? This crowd is a genuine inconvenience. It's a bit of a pain. Now, there is every reason to politely at this point, and Jesus would have definitely not been in the wrong, to say, yeah, it's a good idea, let's send them away for all of those reasons or any of them. But what's interesting here is the send them away approach for the disciples, however reasonable it may be, is not a well thought out strategy in this situation. This is a life slogan for these guys. Let's, let, let's have a look at some other cases where it's also very reasonable, but they adopt this same approach. So, for example, some parents take their kids to Jesus in Luke 18. Well, what do the disciples do? Wait, we've got this one sorted. Send them away approach. This is what they say. It says the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Okay, so there we go. There's a, there's a pattern developing here. What about when the Gentile woman comes desperately to Jesus, asking him to help her daughter? Seems like a reasonable request. Um, Well, this is what the disciples say to Jesus, very reasonable. Tell her to go away. She is bothering us with all her begging. I mean, I'm sure there were good reasons on all of these occasions. But as you can see, this is a mantra for these guys. Send them away. Kids, send them away. Gentile women, send them away. Hungry crowds, you know. This is how it goes. And this has become, however reasonable, this has become their default position. Send them away. This is what we do. Yeah, there's lots of reasons for it, but we do it. And isn't that also the same for us? We know the reasons for all these things, but actually, so often, it's the phone rings, the knock at the door, see that person again, what's your instant response? Send them away. No, no, I I know I've got too much to do. I don't know quite what it is at the moment, but I know I've got too much to do. Send them away. And I think our reasons are exactly the same. I know for me that would be the case. We look at their situation of the people we come across. See, people often who have issues in their life, problems, that we see, look, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure that, that I can get much past that problem. Maybe when we say problems, that's a funny way to put it. Maybe it's another thing. Maybe it's just they are so set on a different worldview to you, so set against the Christian message. You think, actually, I see your situation. This is not going to be an easy afternoon's conversation. We see their situation. We see our resources as well. We look at ourselves and we think, actually, I cannot fix your problems. I cannot improve your life. I definitely can't change your belief system through my uh, arguments for the Christian faith and my wit and charisma. I, I, I cannot do that. I can't help you at all. And thirdly, we need a rest. Maybe you've got to the end of summer And you feel, I still need a rest. I've had a rest and I still need one. And maybe you're looking ahead and projecting to the next kind of few months and thinking, how am I going to get through? I've got the demands of my job. I've got church responsibilities. I've got friendships to maintain, families, all of that stuff. And exactly the same as the disciples. When people start coming to us or have the potential to come to us, or even just to open your eyes and see the crowds, you just think instantly, send them away. It's a very reasonable approach. But it's not Jesus' approach. Verse 11, back to where we 
Look, jumping back a little bit, we said it already, but it says this, but the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Let's face it, Jesus is not at people's beck and call in the gospel. He doesn't just kind of run around like a headless chicken after everyone's agenda. But you cannot read the gospels without seeing Jesus as the most welcoming and open individual that comes across. I mean, we often say, don't we, we want to be like Jesus. We, we see these characteristics in him. And we, we go for the biggies, the name in light sort of things. Wow, look at his power. Look at, look at the way he loves the unlovely. Look at the way he serves or he's obedient to the Father. And those are great. And we want to emulate that stuff. Don't, don't we? That stuff's good. Yeah, it's really good. However, sometimes we just miss the simple things. Jesus was open to people. He was friendly. He would let people come into his life. He welcomed women, he welcomed children, he welcomed prostitutes, tax collectors, even the Pharisees, who he had some very strong words for, he set aside time for those guys. He he met them secretly. He went round their house for dinner. It's one of Jesus' primary characteristics. And actually, it seems so simple, but maybe this is one of the most difficult characteristics of Jesus to emulate. I mean, Let's be clear, it would be easy for me to speak this and for us to hear it go, yeah, welcoming people, very important. But you know what, this is really hard. The question must be asked, how can we in our busy lives, with so many pulls on our time this way and that way, welcome people into our lives like Jesus did? How can we get to the end of a busy period and think, yes, great, I've got some time aside, and there's a knock on go, yeah, okay, I will do this. I'm going to let him in again. How do we do that? Can we do that? What's great about this passage, and the last thing, uh, last point I'll make is that it gives us a reason. As it gives us the reason why the disciples sent the people away, it gives us the reason that why Jesus welcomed them. It gives us, it tells us that. And again, it's three points, and uh, they don't totally match up with the others. Sorry, I tried, but you know, but you'll see some overlap. Why did Jesus welcome them? We can learn from this stuff. First reason is this: Jesus knew exactly why he was alive. That's the first reason. He knew why he was sent. I mean, if you look through Luke's gospel, possible to see Jesus' actions as reasonably spontaneous. He kind of goes here and he meets this person and he goes there and comes back here and goes across a river here. And it seems like he's just very unplanned and kind of a bit of maverick, but spontaneous. You know what? That is not it at all. Jesus has a plan. He knows why he's there and he does it. That's what happens. Luke 4, 43. He makes it very, very clear. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that is why I was sent. He knew it. He knew exactly why he was sent and he does it. So when you then get onto Luke chapter 8 verse 1, just a chapter ago, it says this. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He knew why he was there and he did it. And we see it here too. Why did he welcome the people? Luke 9, 11. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Why does he welcome people? First reason is because that's why he was sent to the world. That's why he was there. That's why he was alive. And actually, it's important to notice here because I can't get away from the fact this is about welcoming people but it's also about balance in our lives It's this same motivation that helps him to sometimes say no to the crowds as well. It makes him welcoming generally, but it doesn't put him at people's beck and call. 
So for example, back in Luke 4.43, when he gives this mission statement, I am, this is why I was sent. On that occasion, we get a very similar situation. The crowds, uh, Jesus withdraws from the crowds. He wants to get some time on his own this time. The crowds come to him, but what does he do? Well, on that occasion, he says, sorry guys, no, I'm not going to be able to spend time with you now. I'm going here. And the verse is, the verse we've just said, it's because I must preach the good news to other towns too. To be welcoming people who also get the balance right, we must know why we're here. So why are we here? What's our mission? Owen spoke of it last week. Just as Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, he sends out each one of us to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. It's not like you need to culturally remove this a whole lot. It's exactly the same. Jesus put it like this, some of his last words, what was called the Great Commission, can never say this enough because this should be ringing in our ears in every decision that we make in our lives. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Didn't split up his disciples and say, you guys, you're the ones doing this. You lot can do this over here. You maybe love your neighbor over here. You make disciples of all nations. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before. Love your neighbor, what's called the golden rule often, and the great commission, go make disciples of all nations. Those are the same thing, exactly the same. It's not some Christians were really caring, some preach the gospel. No, the whole point is the gospel in love. We'll come to that in a second. That's our mission. If we don't have that ringing in our ears, you know what? You're trying to balance your life, but you won't balance your life. Your culture will balance your life. Do you want to hear how your culture will balance your life? This is what your culture would say about balance. Balance is get as much leisure, as much comfort, and as much putting your feet up as you possibly can. That work stuff and helping people stuff, minimize it. That's balance for our culture. What's the dream of our culture? Dream is win the lottery, do nothing. That's the dream. Balanced life for our culture is wasting your life. It's, it sounds funny. You know, it's tragic. You know what? How to balance life? Waste it. Make sure you leave no impact at all on planet Earth so that no one remembers you when you die. There's balance for you. If you don't know your mission, that will be you. As Christians, we need to know why we're here and we need to order our lives according to that, not according to how our culture says to order our lives. All of our family life should be ordered around the Great Commission. And that means we'll be welcoming, but there are times we need to get together. Like in the summer, I hope you've had, where we just together talk to Dave and Caroline. We need to get away from people. That's good. But we live welcoming lives. All our involvement in church should be ordered in line with this to ensure as a church, together we're doing it. Actually, all our rest should be ordered in line with it. Why are there times where we just need to do nothing? We need to put on the telly. We need to go to the cinema. We need to have a break. Well, it's because we need to make sure we don't burn ourselves out so we can do the Great Commission for 50 years, not for five years, and then give up. Those words echoing in our ears. If we grab hold of the Great Commission, we will know that at times we must withdraw. But I tell you what, on the whole, we will be welcoming people. First reason. Second reason is this. Jesus loved people. This needs to be said instantly after the first point. Because actually, 
called people can act out being welcoming, but if it's just mission, 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 when people get close to you, they'll know actually it's not deep. You're not really welcoming. Remember a time a few years ago when I was having dinner with some friends and um, they weren't going on with God at all, although they had some history in the church. And uh, the way the conversation went over dinner, it was, um, this isn't what happens every time, but on this occasion, it got very quickly onto the deep things of life and, and God and everything like that, to the point where over pudding, it seemed appropriate for me to say, look, I'll tell you what, can I pray for you now? Because what you're saying, you know what, I think Jesus can help you. Can I pray for you? And I, I hope that, that many of you here would often ask that question of people. And I'm sure if you have, you'll know that on the vast majority of times, people bite your hand off. Yes, pray for me. And they love it. They think getting prayed for, you've been so kind to me and they're so thankful. I cannot think of hardly any occasions where anyone said no. On this occasion, she instantly said no. She said no. We're shutting this down. You're not praying for me. And this is what she then says. She goes, I won't be another notch on your belt. It's harsh. Have a dinner, man. I was enjoying my pudding. I was offering him to pray. What did she mean? She, she meant this. She, goes, she knew something about Christians and us. She knew, you're on a mission, aren't you? You've got, you've got goals. You've got targets to meet. At your life group, you can say, you know what? got to pray for someone the other day brilliant everyone goes wow you're great sermon illustration wow she didn't want to be that there was something in my manner that day that didn't show that I was welcoming her no it said that I was like a salesperson who wanted to boost my sales figures you know what that sticks with me that sobers me I find that sobering because Jesus wasn't like that and I don't want to be like that Jesus wasn't like a salesman boosting his monthly figures. When he welcomed people, he did it as a sent person on a mission, but also as someone who loved people as well. It wasn't either or, it's both and. Again, Mark 6, exactly the same passage. Jesus saw the huge crowd and he had compassion on them. That's why he welcomed them. Yeah, he's on a mission, but he had compassion. Our mission is to make disciples in love. Third point and final point is this. Jesus, why does he welcome people? Well, he doesn't look at the situation. He looks, all his own resources, he looks to God. Here we have it in verse 14 to 16. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. I don't know if you noticed, but the disciples' view was purely ground level. It was, what should we do? The situation over there is bad. I'm useless. Therefore, I will proceed. What does Jesus do? Jesus looks up. He looks up. If we keep our view at ground level, on the situations of others or on our natural resources, we will not be people who are open and welcoming. And the reason is simple, is that we'll realize deep down, we have nothing to offer. We can't help people. We're of no use. So it's a much more profitable use of our time then, to spend time with people like us, where we can just all hang out and it's all nice and easy. You know what, if that's you, if you have a low opinion of the impact, the effect, the the benefit you can give other people, I'd say on one point, I want to congratulate you on a keen observation. You're correct. 
You might be really charming. You might be a really funny, sociable person. You might have some great ways of sharing your faith and arguments for things. And just the way you do all those things is naturally great. But you know what? Through your skill and charm, you aren't getting anyone into the kingdom of God. You're not doing it. But you know what? God can through you. And he tends to do that when given the opportunity. Jesus lived his life knowing it's not just what happens at ground level that's possible. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught the kingdom message was the kingdom of God as in heaven. We're bringing it down here now. And the kingdom comes and the king reigns in lives. And as he does that, as those lives go to other people, they bring the king to those people. Jesus knew that. He lived his life with that assumption. He looked up. Will we look up? When we see people, we think, I can't help you. I'm of no help to you at all. I'm no benefit to you. I don't speak your language. I don't understand your culture. Do we just think of those? Or do we look up and see the king who's come down and is living in our hearts and will come and affect situations? Jesus welcomed people because he knew he was sent to others because he loved others, and because he knew that the God of heaven was with him, and he could solve people's problems by miracles if necessary. Listen, I recognize that today in this talk, as as we draw to a close, I've been talking mainly to you, those of you who are Christians, those of you who are on this mission together, and, and there'll be some here who are not in that category. I do want to spend just a minute before we wrap up, just talking to you, because often it would be more for you in the message. I, I, I'm aware of that here uh, today, but I, I do want to be clear. This isn't an in-house talk that we're like, oh no, there are some of, there are some of those not-Christian people here. We shouldn't have talked that quick. We need an in-house thing. No, I want to be clear with you. If you're not a Christian today, we want, I speak for myself, and I think I speak for many others, more than anything else for you to come to know Jesus. I hope you're aware of that. That's, that's the reality of the situation. In a sense, that's why we're alive, to give you that offer. And also because we believe that Jesus can make a real and tangible and actually at many points miraculous difference in your life. Might not be multiplying food in your freezer. Might be, but it probably won't be. But he can provide for you. He can heal you. He can rescue you. I hope you found us today and at times you've you visit us a welcoming church, a welcoming group of people. And please be absolutely clear, you are, we'd love you to keep on coming here. This is not a strings attached thing. It's not like you've been five times, you haven't made a commitment, sorry. Nah. It, it's, not like, it's not like you have to put money in that little pot every week. I hope you know that. You don't have to. No, no, you, please keep coming. Please keep asking questions. Please keep coming at your own pace. Our welcome genuinely comes with no strings attached. But at the same time, We hope that we can offer you more than a nice chat and a cup of tea. We want you to find Jesus. Why? Because we're on this mission and we need numbers. No, no, no. We want you to find Jesus because Jesus has transformed our lives. Jesus is the best thing that we've got to offer you. He's the one that makes us tick. I ask you, maybe you've heard this before, why not today? Why not come to know him? Why not start seeing the miracles he can do in your life as you come to him and trust him? If that's where you're at today, please come and grab me at the end. I'd love to chat to you more about that. But for all of us, there's only one place to finish there, and that's at the end of the story. 
Verse 16 and 17 says this, Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Let that sink in a little, because you've heard it before, haven't you? That's pretty amazing. It's pretty astonishing. Multiplying food. That's a really good one. I mean, more left at the end than there even was at the beginning. God multiplies the food more than is actually necessary. I mean, that's a serious wow miracle going on here. It only happened because Jesus welcomed the crowd. Do you want to see wow moments in your life? Do you want to see miracles done through you? Maybe the most important question asked at the end of the day of whether that will happen or not is, will you welcome them or will you send them away? Can we pray?